secularism has tried to take Jesus out of Christmas, mm. you know, like the Senegalese. Oh, we want the commercial stuff because, you know, people make money. Oh, we want the gift giving and the decorations and the fun, but we don't want no Jesus. Well, the problem is, is secularism is the idea that you can take all the good stuff that came from something and then like religion in this particular place or faith, divorce them or separate them and then maintain the wonder of the good stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you find the greater strength within yourself when you discover who you are. It's your discovery, your epiphany, your journey that you must go through, but you can't do it alone. We can only discover who we truly are when we meet Jesus. Mm. This is the purpose of the Salty Pastor, a podcast designed to help you discover who you truly are in Jesus. And we are here to help you discover what mm -hmm. God's doing in you along the way. My name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host. And let's welcome the Salty Pastor himself, Dr. <laughs> Douglas Peak. Well, welcome everybody to the podcast today. And it's a very exciting time of the year. It's one of my favorite times of the year. I love December because of everything that it's about, family and friends, and most importantly, what our Lord and Savior Christ did coming into this world in order to save us. And our goal here at the Salty Pastor is to help you know him better. Better, to know what you believe about him, why you believe it, because I really agree with your statement. And that is, is that we cannot find strength. We cannot find our courage. We cannot find meaning. We cannot find peace. All the things that our soul longs for cannot be found until we meet Jesus. So I'm pretty excited about that. And I'm pretty excited about this time of the year when we get to talk about Jesus a whole lot. Well, I know our new series is titled Jesus is Christmas, mm -hmm. um, which is great because, I mean, I think Christmas is one of the most widely celebrated holidays in the world. Even yes. people who don't believe in in God love yes. the Christmas spirit. Yes, But that's it's kind true. of been like usurped, right? Like Christmas mm -hmm. doesn't have anything to do with Jesus for a lot of people. It's just this holiday that has a lot of toy buying involved and stress <laughs> and this year's supply chain issues. So, yeah. So, um, it, it is, uh, celebrated all across the globe. And in, in one case, what's really interesting is Senegal, which is a Muslim country. They can't get enough of Christmas. Hmm. They, they love celebrating, uh, Christmas. Now they want to keep it secular and commercial, but uh, it's really kind of interesting in that regard. So, yes, it's very true about people love Christmas. And I think the thing about the, uh, the thing we need to talk about more than anything else about the Christmas spirit is to show how Jesus is the source of everything that people love about Christmas. So if you take away Jesus, everything you love about the holiday is gone. And in fact, the holiday itself would cease to exist. So even though the Senegalese, I believe Senegalese. I pronounced that properly, the Senegalese is a Muslim country that wants to celebrate Christmas and make it secular and commercial. In the end, if you take away Christ, there will be no Christmas. And so I think that's really important to understand is that you cannot separate the two. 
Absolutely. Our society, I think, not just the Senegalese, but, you know, society <laughs> as a whole. Yeah, Western civilization, Has sure. really taken the Christmas holiday for granted. I mm-hmm. mean, it's it's taken all the feel-good things, food, decorations, the yeah. music, yeah. being mm-hmm. generous, and it's kind of separated them from their origination, right? Yeah. Like, where mm-hmm. they came from. We can't forget Why that. Why we do all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, like... Um, you know, we have so many traditions and things and all this stuff that's mm-hmm. all wrapped up in Christmas, but a lot of people don't even know why we do most of them, right? They're like, they're, it's a very surface level interaction. Yeah. Why Christmas. do you put lights on your house? Why do you get Christmas trees? Why do we give gifts? Right. Why do we celebrate St. Nicholas? Why do we, uh, eat? Why do we, uh, take the time to get our family together? Why, what was all this music originate from and, and why does it always talk about all of these feel good things? And I mean, all the traditions, all of the ceremonies, all of the decorations, all of the habits and traditions that we have, where do all these things come from? That's the question we need to answer. Absolutely. Having an idea of what it all means and everything that we enjoy mm-hmm. has an origin. Yes. So let's take some time and talk about <laughs> all it. All right. That's what we're here for. Well, we're going to begin our series by going to the announcements about the birth of Jesus. And I think in the announcements themselves, before Jesus was even born, uh, we need to understand a few things that the Bible teach because the season is Jesus. It's about mm. him it's about who he is, why he came, and what he accomplished when he did come. So let's talk about how his birth actually came about, how he entered into this world. So I'll read from Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 26, and it says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Now, Elizabeth was Mary's older cousin. So she was in probably her mid-30s. Mm. At this time, people believe Mary was maybe 15, 16 years of age. Okay. You know, maybe 17, but more likely about 16 years old. So she wasn't very old. And she had an older cousin named Elizabeth who'd been married for quite some time. And Elizabeth became pregnant. Okay, And she became pregnant with John the Baptist. Mm. So there is a relationship between Jesus and John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was about six, seven months older than Jesus. And so Jesus then, uh, or John the Baptist then grows up in the wilderness and then comes and announces the coming Messiah. And he practiced what was known as the baptism of repentance. And so he asked the Jews to return back to God. So what happened is... In the sixth month of uh, Elizabeth's pregnancy, John sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. So God sent the angel to a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. He was a descendant of David. So he is of the seed of David, which is really important for all you Old Testament covenant buffs. Mm. Because there's a prophecy in the Old Testament that the Messiah would come from David's seed. So the virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. So the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How can this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? 
And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. So here's really interesting is the angel says, she says, I'm a virgin. And so in her worldview of where she's at, being pregnant outside of, of wedlock is not an option. Right. There's zero social network. There's zero family support. There's zero, there's zero anything. So if you were born, uh, uh, if you were found to be pregnant outside of wedlock and then you're displaced, right? And no one will marry you and you can't go to your father's house and there's no reference to her father's house as a possibility. Then you basically are condemned to a life of extreme poverty, begging in the streets, your life expectancy is cut in half and so forth. So it's really interesting because she says, how can this be since I am of a virgin? And so there's a lot of implications to this question. Is she asking whether or not uh, it's going to happen through Joseph after she gets married? You know, is that what she's asking? She doesn't know. And so the answer, and this is why verse 35 um, is so important, because the angel basically says, well, as a virgin, you're going to get pregnant. And in her mind, it's like, okay, this is going to completely displace me. I mean, who's going to believe that? Right. right? No, nobody's going to believe that it had never happened ever. And it hasn't happened since. So who's going to believe that? And so she sees immediately the, uh, implications, I think. And her response in verse 38 is I am the Lord's servant. My Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. So I find this really interesting because you've you've kind of laid out this. She's kind of in a dire circumstance Correct. if she chooses to believe that this is going to happen. Correct. Um, in, in her culture, she's basically like, "Well, if this happens and I am yeah. to become pregnant, then yeah. I'm done. I'm done." But she takes kind of a view that I think most people would really struggle with, which is, "I am your servant," right? Like yeah. mm -hmm. that's an attitude we don't. I mean, I don't even know that I would have, yeah. <laughs> you know, do I mean, as me as you will. Yeah. And so talk Complete to me, submission. like, talk to me about that attitude. Do we, does she, is she known to be like a very, I guess, like, does she just have an internal peace about it? What are, what are we thinking she's well, I think, at where yeah. she just trusts? Well, it would have, fine? obviously it would have been overwhelmingly obvious to her that this is going to place her in a very vulnerable position. It's going to, it could, you know, it will ruin her life. And mm. yet her, there's no question about that. And, uh, she'd be humiliated. She would be, uh, you know, excised or, you know, excommunicated from her community and her family. And she's in, she's betrothed to be married, which basically means she, she's married. Right. right? Uh, so she's ready to, she's been given away and the dowry has been paid and all of this kind of stuff. And yet, uh, she simply said, I am the Lord's servant. And, and this is what I think makes her so special is that uh, not that she was so young and not that she was a female, but that she had an attitude very few people have, uh, even people who believe strongly in Jesus. Uh, she actually possessed the attitude of complete submission to the will of God. Uh, 
it kind of it kind of reminds me of uh, Father Damien. He was a Catholic priest. He was a Belgian priest, and he went. He felt called, and there was a government forced uh, colony of lepers. They were quarantined called on the island of Molokai in mm. Hawaii. And this is when it was the kingdom of Hawaii. It wasn't quite a, it wasn't a state yet. Okay. And so he went there to minister to the people of Molokai, this colony. And so he went there and he uh, built hospitals and roads and houses. He, you know, they were living in squalor and they'd given up on life and he shows up and he starts educating them and, and so forth. And what's really interesting is that leprosy is a bacterial infection that just gets inside of you and it just stays for a very, very long time. And is it curable with it modern technology? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They have a, it's a cocktail of antibiotics that they give you. Okay. You have to be on them for a while, but they, they can cure it in a sense now. But what it does is it attacks, you know, this uh, bacteria attacks your nerve endings and so forth. And, and what happens is you stop, it can create skin lesions but it also, you know, kills the nerves and so endings. And so the biggest problem in leprosy is if you get cut, you know, on your extremity and you don't know it. Okay. And so you can get infected and you think prior to modern medicine, which has only been around for about a hundred years. And so in antibiotics before that, you know, if you get infected or you get sepsis or gangrene and get all this kind of stuff, it's, not a good thing. Right. But he went and, and what he did is his father Damon went to this. He felt called. He went there. He built an entire community. And what's interesting about uh, the bacteria and bacterial infection is that it's not passed through sexual contact and it's not passed on to the children through birth. Okay. Mm. It's usually passed on by being directly exposed to the mucus of somebody who's infected. So if they sneeze on you or their snot or whatever, their mucus uh, from their sinuses is generally how you get it. So he was there for a very, very long time. He lived among them for probably, I don't know, seven, eight years, nine years, and then he got it. And then eventually it killed him, mm. you know? And so it's really interesting because here was a guy who just said, Hey, I'm going to go and I'm going to minister to these people. And if, you know, I'm, I'm going to die from it and I'm going anyway. And I think what's really interesting is that we don't see this level of conviction about anything in our world today anymore, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and so that shocks people. And I, I think that this is, this is something that's so inspiring about Mary is that here's a young lady who's showing me that I can rise to the occasion. I, I can step up and do things that I never imagined that I would be able to do. You know, sometimes things are put in our path and we, we get news. It's really bad. Or there's things that our minds run forward. It's like, you know, well, if, if the Lord's prompting me to do this and I do this, the ramifications of it could just be, wow, really detrimental to me. And so we try to talk our way out of it, you know, whatever it might be. And so not Mary, she just said, ah, you know, do unto me for I'm your servant. Mm. And so I think that is really, and you know, Mary is so inspirational because she gets this news and she doesn't even question it. And then she just says, let it happen. You know, she has no idea. This is what's really interesting about the text. She has no idea what her parents are going to say or, and most importantly, she has no idea what's going on in Joseph's life at all. Well, let's talk about Joseph. Cause again, like she's made peace with this, but it's like trying to explain that to your husband to yeah. be that it's like, 
Well, no, I really, no, really. It was an angel <laughs> who told me this was going to happen, and I'm really a virgin. I promise. Yeah. And in that point in time, obviously, there's a lot of. I mean, he. I mean, there's there's a lot probably going through. There's his a head. lot so probably going through. What does the text well, tell us about Joseph? In Matthew and chapter one, yeah, Matthew chapter one, it talks about what happened to Joseph. And what's really interesting is in Matthew's account and in Luke's account, it doesn't say in. Luke's account, when he talks about Mary, that Joseph had any idea what the angel had told Mary, right? So Luke doesn't make any reference to that at all. Then we jump over to Matthew, and Matthew doesn't have any accounting of Joseph's knowledge of what the angel told Mary. So it's interesting. It doesn't talk about that. So the angels came separately to each one of them. And in what it says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, It says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy spirit because Joseph, her husband was faithful to the law. And yet he did not want to expose her to the public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Just he doesn't have it. He's going to divorce her, but he's going to do it in a nice way. Right. Going, it's like, yeah, okay. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So we... We see this weird kind of terminology that Matthew uses, and he and he says the angel he took it as a command, right? Like right. What the, the angel, angel said, told to him "Don't be afraid," but he took it as a command, right? <laughs> you know, which is really interesting because I think there's some basic implications to that. You know, first and foremost, what it tells us about Joseph is that his faith and his belief was extremely strong, right? It's very powerful. Um, I, I remember a debate between a really respected theologian and an atheist who wasn't prepared for the debate, <laughs> um, which most atheists don't, uh, because they, they think they are just so smart that yeah, they, can they do. Win. <laughs> they think they're super smart. Uh, they have a falsehood of uh, intelligence, and then what they do is they talk in an echo chamber. Right, they talk about, only to people who agree with them, and mm. and uh, and they talk to sycophants, people who just think anything they say is good, no matter what. And so the arguments get really, really lame. So I remember a debate between a respected theologian and an unprepared atheist, and the atheist was trying to argue that signs, wonders, all of these things are simply natural occurring phenomena that people misinterpret. So the theologian asked him, "Okay, what signs or phenomena?" 
would have to occur in order for you to believe or to be convinced that there was a God. And so the atheist, not thinking about the implications of what he was about to say, said, well, if there was, you know, lightning in the sky and I had visions, uh, things I'd never seen before, then I, I would believe. And so then the theologian responded, well, based on your own criteria, you would just excuse those as natural phenomena that are being misinterpreted. See, in, in the, the, the atheist obviously lost that uh, debate in, a, in an incredible way because the theologian pointed out an extremely clear way that it's your choice of belief, your frame of reference, i.e. your faith, is what determines how you interpret those events. There's no abstract scientific way that causes you to interpret these events as purely meaningless natural phenomena that people misinterpret. And so he's saying, what you're doing is, you're, is exactly what you're accusing other people doing is as a falsehood. Mm. So the theologian points this out. And so uh, it, it was his way of saying that scientists are actually participating in a faith-based system of inquiry. You really are. And this is what is so pernicious in the world today. And this is why I did the series on faith and science, is that without faith, there was no, would be no science, you see. And science in and of itself is a personification of a faith-based inquiry, right? You mm. start with a hypothesis and to come up with a hypothesis cr requires creativity, challenging the things, and that requires faith, right? Faith on what before has been established, faith that it could logically be rationalized or reasoned out to this conclusion. So let's try that and see right. what happens. So uh, Joseph's faith was super strong. His frame of reference was clear. Therefore, when the angel said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, he just took it as a command. Mm. So what that tells me is that his faith was really, really strong. I mean, there's no question in his mind. Uh, this is an angel telling me this. Okay. It's a command. No worries. I'm going to do it. I'm on it. I'm on it. The second thing it did is it, it speaks to the strength of his will. He not only knew what he was going to do, but he went out, followed through, and did it. Even though the point, uh, even to the point where he didn't consummate his marriage until after Jesus was born. So he goes, he marries her, and he can't even he can't he doesn't even consummate the marriage, mm. right? Until after Jesus was born. To me, that just really speaks of a, a strength of will that he had. Um, I see Joseph because of this is a very strong man, you know, and I think early on, this was probably very indelible upon Jesus. Cause you look at Jesus and you look at his life. He, he was a very strong person, right? Right. He's super strong, super courageous, super focused. And so I think, uh, you know, early on this strength of will, this strength of character was something that Joseph was able to model. For him, third, I think that uh, Matthew doesn't say anything about the angel giving him the details of the plan, right? All he says is, don't be afraid to marry her. He doesn't even <laughs> say, the angel doesn't say, wait until she gives birth to consummate the marriage. Right. He, he comes up with that on his own. Well, 
I don't know about you, but when God tells me to do something, particularly something that's like way out of the norm, I want all the details. Right. Like what, <laughs> what is the plan here? Yeah. What's the plan? Where does this end up? How does it work out? Uh, God, how are you going to deal with this implication in five years from now? Blah, 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 blah. How am I going to deal with that? How am I going to do with that? Blah, 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 blah. I, I want all the details, but Joseph didn't ask, didn't get, and he did it anyway. And so I, I think that that's one of the powerful things that's so inspirational about Joseph is that he heard this, he took it as a command, and then he followed through without question, mm. not even knowing. And as we know from the New Testament is that he and Mary went on to have a number of other sons. Mm -hmm. And what's really fascinating, and I, I wish it wasn't this way, but I know why it's this way, is I wish they would have talked about Joseph more. It's like, well, what happened to Joseph? Why, why is it, wasn't Joseph around when Jesus was doing his ministry? You know, he was, right. he had passed away. We don't know how, we don't know when, we don't know what for. All we really know is this, is that, he took Jesus to Egypt to flee the Herodian massacre. And then he comes back to Nazareth, right? And then the last thing we hear about Joseph is when Jesus is 12 years old and they go to Jerusalem to the temple, right? right. And then they and leave starts. and they can't find him. And he's like, where were you? Well, I'm in my father's house. So um, that's really the last time we ever see or hear any reference to Joseph. We just don't know. Mm -hmm. And I wish, I wish there was more in it because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm annoyingly curious about those <laughs> things. But I think what's so interesting about Joseph, though, is just this little interaction with Gabriel tells us so much about him. His his frame of reference, you know, was not uh, was not one that was confused or lost or wishy washy. He knew exactly what he believed. He knew why he believed it, and he was faithful to it. Well, and I think we see so much of that in, like you said, this modeling of like. I, I don't ask questions. I just do what God tells me to do. We see so much of that from his parents that mm -hmm. in Mary and Joseph, that it's no wonder that Jesus, and I mean, obviously he's part God too. So it's like, there's a mixture of nature, yeah. nurture, literal godly nature versus nurture of yeah, his but, earthly parents. Yeah, but God parents. picked Mary and Joseph. Right. And he probably, you know, and he, he did selected it for a reason. the correct parents, <laughs> yeah, right? He selected the right up. parents. <laughs> So, yeah, and I, I think that what all this tells us is that from the very beginning, this is what Christmas was all about. At, if, before Jesus was even born, God selected Mary and Joseph. And Mary, uh, a woman of great faith and great uh, obedience, or an obedience not from the standpoint of, well, I'm just going to do whatever I'm told, just from a sense of such peace like a right? discipline more than yeah a, and such uh uh devotion mm -hmm. that there wasn't any question i mean she just walked in the fullness of being god's servant you know she's i just want to be god's servant you know right. i just want that and so and then you have joseph right a man of character a man of strength a man of conviction and even though he didn't have all of the details he takes what the lord said to him through the angel is a command and then he just goes out and does it you well know? and they they fight with that initial fear both of them obviously yeah. but then they come to accept it and find joy in it right yeah absolute joy and i and i think that's what the you know the this is just the prelude to what 
why Jesus is Christmas. Mm. And what I mean by that is you take every feeling, every emotion, every experience, regardless of whether a person believes in God or not, about the season of Christmas, and then realize that all of that happens, all of that occurs because something happened 2,000 years ago. And that something is that God emptied himself and took the form of a bondservant. He was, he humbled himself by being born as a vulnerable baby to a young girl by the name of Mary, to a stepfather by the name of Joseph. And that's where Christmas begins without Jesus, without this, there is no Christmas. And I think that's really important because secularism has tried to take Jesus out of Christmas, Mm. you know, like the Senegalese. Oh, we want the commercial stuff because, you know, people make money. Oh, we want the gift giving and the decorations and the fun, but we don't want no Jesus. Well, the problem is, is secularism is the idea that you can take all the good stuff that came from something and then like religion in this particular place or faith, divorce them or separate them and then maintain the wonder of the good stuff, right? Right. So they make this judgment. Well, we don't want the Jesus. We don't want the religion or the faith, but we want all of the celebration. We want all of the money and the consumerism. We want all of the lights. We want all of that kind of stuff. And what people don't realize is that this is an absolute complete failure. Because I know, I know lots of people, and that is, is uh, myself included, and that is, is that my father died on Christmas Day mm. in 1987 is when he died of a heart attack. So I know a lot of people who've lost people on Christmas Day, right? And so what do you think the lights mean to them? What do you think the food and the traditions and all of those things mean to them? Well, if there's no Jesus, right? There's no healing, there's no wholeness, there's no redemption, there's no generosity. It's just empty symbols that mean nothing Right. when you take Jesus away from it, see? So Christmas has maintained, for me, one of the most joyous times. And I, I've grown up, uh, one of the greatest uh, disappointments is that my children never met their biological grandfather on my side. They know their grandfather on the other side, who's done a great job with them, but I, uh, they never met my dad, mm-hmm. right? And part of that is, is that maybe they would understand why their dad's so weird, you know, <laughs> as my mom says, I get it honestly. Um, but, uh, but really the essence is, is that you cannot, secularism is a failed idea. It's absolutely devoid of any rationality. Uh, you can't divorce the core principles or uh, the upstream event and then divorce it from the downstream effects. You know, it's really interesting. There's an atheist out there, Pendulette of the magical duo, uh, Penn and Teller. And he has written a number of books, three or four books about atheism. He's really vocal about it and so forth. And he likes to make the argument that since he is a moral atheist, all atheists can be moral. But this is completely and utterly false. If there is no God, then there are no objective morals or duties. And it's a perfect example of someone who appears intelligent, who makes irrational arguments. That's a nice way of saying it's like someone who claims to be wise, but they're really stupid (laughs) because they argue in circles and they invalidate their own argument because the 
you know, the way you defeat his argument is saying is that, well, on what basis do you ha build your morality? Well, I build it on myself. So then the atheist next to you builds his own morality and his own morality says, I want to kill you and take your stuff. And it's perfectly fine. Just because you have that morality as an atheist doesn't mean anybody else's morality is invalidated. So no matter what, it's just a failed system. So secularism at its core is a failed ideology. And we see that, we'll talk more about it on Thursday, is we're seeing the implications of it across the board in America today, you see, because you can't divorce Jesus from Christmas and maintain all of the good stuff that Christmas does. You can't do that. There's just no way. Absolutely. Well, um, as we wrap up today, I do want to encourage you guys, if you are wanting to spend this Christmas season focused on Jesus and mm -hmm. why Chris, Jesus is Christmas, um, our oh, Foothill yeah. staff has created a, a really cool Advent devotional series for you where you're leading, reading one chapter in Luke a day, and then you get a video sent to your phone with a two-minute devotional from one of our staff each day. Um, you don't have to give your um, email address. You don't have to have logins, nothing like that. It just gets sent to your phone and you get to just spend some time really focusing on the life of Jesus, growing closer to him as we get closer to the celebration of his birth. So yeah. if you are interested in that, we really encourage you to um, join in on that um, Advent devotional. And you can do that by texting FH Advent. So FH space Advent to mm -hmm. 72,000. And you'll get signed up. They'll send you a little text message. You just click on the link and you get signed up and it's going to be really great. And it's going to be super fun. It'll be great yeah. for our audiences on the Salty Pastor and the community at Foothills to just be bonding together over the life of Jesus as we mm -hmm. get closer to Christmas. So we thank you guys so much for joining us today. I encourage you guys to be doing some sort of Advent study because I think it's really important for you to stay focused on Jesus when the world's trying to tell you that um, your favorite thing is not going to be available and all they want to focus <laughs> on is the gifts <laughs> yeah. and we're focused on the thing that actually matters. So we encourage you guys to do some sort of Advent study, whether it's ours or somebody else's and enjoy the season for what it really is. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you on Thursday here on the Salty Pastor Podcast. Goodbye and blessings.